This is the Boys Podcast from TV Podcast Industries. We're talking about The Boys Season 2, Episode 4, Nothing Like It in the World. I know you hate kids and all, but oh, I think no. that he's pretty... No, no, I don't. I don't hate kids. Just, I'm a very good role model, am I? Welcome back, fellow boys and girls. This is the Boys Podcast on TV Podcast Industries. We're discussing Season 2, Episode 4, Nothing Like It in the World. I'm one of your hosts, Derek. Hello there, fellow boys and girls. I'm one of your other hosts, John. And rounding out these trios like there is nothing in the world, I am your third and final podcast host, Chris. Welcome back, boys. We're on to our weekly schedule. Uh, once a week, every week now, an episode of The Boys and an episode of Lovecraft Country on TV Podcast Industries. Uh, lots of stuff to talk about every week. Uh, and yeah, The Boys has gone to a weekly schedule now. Uh, have you seen the disgruntled comments from the entitled fanboys? <laughs> have you yeah. all the... you, people on the internet are angry? Oh, no. yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's amazing. That's, that's so new. I, no, I don't believe it. Everyone's angry at the moment. Mm-hmm. Everyone. <laughs> it's amazing, isn't it? Like when I was a kid, you know, we used to watch, we had, had movies like uh, Willy Wonka's Chocolate Factory, which taught you, you know, people that say, I want it now, get thrown into a basket and killed. Well, was, was, <laughs> was Rukas Holt killed? I can't remember. I think she died in, in, in Willy Wonka's Yeah, Chocolate I think Factory. it was left unsaid, but she's, she was punished. She was punished. Exactly. Exactly. Um, you know, I want doesn't get, isn't it? Exactly. Like yeah. Like the worst human character in Harry Potter is his cousin. Dudley, who just constantly wants everything now. So, uh, yeah, these are these are kind of the lessons that I would have learned as a kid. Why are people not learning those lessons these days? We'll get it. It's only five more episodes. We'll get it every week from now on, and then they'll be there forever to watch. Absence makes the heart grow fonder. Exactly. Yeah. And chill pills. Mm-hmm. Okay, everyone, relax. Breathe in deeply. Exactly. Go to your zen point and just chill and once these five episodes are out you're gonna have to wait about three or four years till season three comes out at this at this rate (laughs) exactly (laughs) it'll never get filmed so why not enjoy (laughs) only a weekly gap in between episodes but we are here to talk about the fourth episode of this show first off i want to say a huge thank you to our patreons who've been supporting us all throughout this year thanks so much to all of you who've been supporting us really really good of you yes thank you so much it's to your patronage your support that we are to keep the lights on keep the hamsters that keep our uh, podcast materials running hey. they are in wheels we kept them fed you're able to give them some food additionally you're able to uh, through your patronage i was able to get a brand new spanky new shiny mic mm-hmm. that is allows you to hear my voice so much better and as the ever constant threat is upon you that i will give you a rendition of some song that will never never get us a copyright strike because <laughs> it's so badly out of tune uh-huh. but it will sound so much better because of your patrons so thank you so much from the bottom of my heart absolutely yeah a big thanks to all our patrons uh for sure for your support it's really Really good. John sounded so depressed. Is it because they bought Chris a new mic, John? Is that what it is? No. <laughs> no. I had to hear him so much better. Sorry, that was just my sober tone, I suppose. I see, I see. Um, yeah, no, a big thanks uh, for your support. It is really, really appreciated. And, of course, we would like to 
extend a massive welcome aboard to our new patrons for uh, this month, James Uren, Marianne Morris, and Angie Aarhus. Uh, thank you so much for joining us. It really is great to have your support. Absolutely. And of course, both with our patrons and non-patrons, the support uh, for the podcast is really, really great and really, really appreciated. Um, you can support us in so, so many ways, uh, whether it is through Patreon at patreon.com forward slash TV Podcast Industries or head on over to the podcast catcher of your choice, whether it be a boy or a girl podcast catcher, uh, and you can subscribe to us there, rate us, leave a review, uh, sharing the love is sharing the podcast. Mm-hmm. Sorry, or should I say, sharing the podcast is sharing the love. That's the indeed. And um, so, all your support is gratefully received and very much appreciated by us, the lads. Absolutely, the lads of TV Podcast Industries. Yeah, um, a little bit of a uh, little bit of chart news. We're up to number fifty-three in the charts in the US for after shows. That's all TV after shows. We're just just outside the top fifty uh, after our first couple of episodes of the boys released the weekend. So. Um, thanks so much for everybody for listening as well. Yeah, definitely. Yes, thank you so much, fellow industrialists. But do you know what would be an extra nice present? Help us break that top 50. Get us through there by sharing the podcast, listening, telling your friends. If they're enjoying the boys, if you're enjoying the boys, spread the word. It would be amazing. Thank you so much. Enough of charting, enough of Patreon, enough of sharing the love or sharing podcasts. Boys, we are here to talk about The Boys, Season 2, Episode 4. So, let's jump into it. First and foremost, Derek, do you want to tell us who gave us what? Absolutely, yep. This episode was written by Mike Saltzman. Uh, Mike has been writing in comedy and dramas since back in the late 80s and early 90s. He wrote on shows like Wings and Murphy Brown. Now, I remember those because I'm quite old. I'm old, but I have no recollection of those. I never watched them. Amazing. Uh, Murphy Brown was some of the best kind of canned comedy kind of sitcom of its day. It was the newsroom one. It was exactly, yeah. Yeah. I never saw Wings or Murphy Brown at all back in the 90s as a kid. Uh, Unfortunately, I think uh, the Cosby show, which I was watching, um, well, let's just leave that there, shall yeah, we? Yeah, that was a very, a very yeah. different um, history. Afterwards. The cans laughter is not playing anymore. Certainly isn't. It certainly isn't. But yes, interesting that Michael Salzman has been writing for that long in uh, in various shows over the years and uh, is now working on a comedy drama, I guess you'd, you'd call that with the boys. I guess we call it a violent comedy drama. Would that be about, uh, about accurate? I don't, yeah, I'd go comedy, dr- comedic drama sounds better for an Emmy nomination. Okay. Uh, I don't think they'll, they'll do violence. The most violent blood and guts and <laughs> animal decapitation in an, an Emmy award name show is. Well, they'd win it without a doubt, oh, yeah, without should. any competition. <laughs> the amount of fake blood alone which should get top them over the, the, the charts. Definitely, definitely. Um, the episode was directed by Fred Toy. We talked about it, Fred Toy last season. He directed uh, episode four of season one as well. So uh, it was the episode Female of the Species. Along with lots of other shows, he directed the excellent finale episode of The Watchmen, one of my favorite episodes of TV in the last couple of years. So uh, great to have Fred back in this episode. 
I've never heard of that show. Uh, is, is there any place you could point me that would be a great way of watching it and then listening to a, a, someone almost discussing it? I really like, can't remember at this audio. stage. Yeah, it's, it's available on uh, on HBO Max in the US, the TV show, and uh, and the um, and in the UK, it's available on Sky Atlantic on their and their uh, on demand service. And uh, we podcasted every episode and did a feedback episode every single week as well. So uh, we did eighteen episodes of our podcast last year, all about the watchman one of my favorite shows it, it was brilliant i need to watch it again because i have to say um it was great but through covid cabin fever and sort of the blurring of time and space um i do feel i need to watch it again to remember mm-hmm. or maybe i'm just old oh we'll definitely watch it again don't, don't worry don't worry do you want to tell us what everybody gave us with your synopsis for the episode john sure following two tip-offs from mallory Billy Butcher tracks down Becca and tries to convince her to escape from her false life. And Mother's Milk and Huey, accompanied by Starlight, head south to talk to a victim of the former 70s soup, Liberty. This victim indicates that Liberty is alive and well, and currently housed at Vought Tower as Stormfront. Meanwhile, Homelander's twisted and very private pastime with a doppelgangered Madeline Stilwell sets him on a path to root out the weak and dishonest from the Seven. As he looks to reimpose his authority and personality in the wake of the Compound V scandal, he is unsure of tackling a dangerous and energised Stormfront as she capitalises from her success defeating the super-terrorist. Meanwhile, Black Noir has taken an interest in the whereabouts of Billy Butcher, and The Deep has taken an interest in marriage. Yes, he has. That was an interesting old setup for uh, for that <laughs> for that storyline for the episode. He still didn't get who he wanted, though. Well, yeah, I don't think you ever do if PR are involved in uh, in setting you up with your new partner. Definitely, it's really reminded me of when Harry met Sally. There's a whole uh, a, a trick in that in that movie where they go to couples who've been together for for decades or been together for quite a long time talking about how they got to how they met and all that kind of stuff it just comes in after every kind of break in the in the movie so that's what it felt like in here I was expecting the big reveal of who it was that all these women had been married to <laughs> as, as the kind of uh, trick that they were going to do in the show so uh, so quite a surprise that this was uh, this was like um i guess at home dating would that be uh, that be the way it's like it like, kind of really is I, I yeah i i was wondering what that was going to be about yeah. um I, I almost thought it was going to be liberty on the other side it cause, because i didn't realize that mother's milk huey were heading down to go to a victim of liberty i thought they were going to try and find the former soup liberty mm-hmm. um and so i kind of thought that this was possibly her behind camera in her new role as some kind of therapist yeah um so it was kind of a bit of a shock to see carol and uh the deep effectively vetting his next wife well, exactly yeah, yeah i i took it a different way and it's, we'll we'll jump into the points in a second but i took it very much of because of the storyline we were getting with about love be it through the multiple characters of the boys i was expecting it to be some support group that uh, a certain um light imbued uh soup may have joined right. to discuss her heartbreak, mm-hmm. her need, blah, blah, blah. I was expecting yeah. something along those lines. That would have made um, sense but, as well. Yeah, like yeah. Traditionally, we have these kind of episodes that are tied in with holidays every year. You know, there's kind of the Christmas episode and the New Year's episode and the Halloween episode and stuff. 
there's no opposite holiday day to Valentine's Day, but this would be the perfect episode for opposite Valentine's Day. <laughs> like <laughs> broken hearted day. Broken hearted day. Yeah. <laughs> it occurs every year on the, on September 10th. How about that? From next year yeah. onwards. I much prefer it being like the day after Valentine's, February 15th. Where it's <laughs> That'd just be like, quite hey, good. You, yeah. You, you, you've got a broken heart now on Valentine's. Do you know what? Here's some, uh, discounted chocolates. And, and and a Yay. yeah, dead flowers and a card that says "screw you." <laughs> I like it. I like Half it. eaten chocolates, <laughs> or no, just the chocolates with the nuts left. Like no one loves those ones. Ugh. I don't know what you're talking about, Chris, at all. Everybody loves nuts and chocolate. It's true, but let's just get on with the podcast because we're a bit in, and this is where we need to go. So. Boys and girls, ladies and gentlemen, if you're joining us only for episode four, well, you've got three other ones to listen to. Great on you. We are changing things up on how we cover the boys. Each of us will choose the most interesting boys, protagonist moment, the seven, antagonist moment, and any other outstanding moment from the episode that we feel. So to kick things off, I will do an accent like the boys, like the French, and I will talk about the boys moment. I will go first. I will talk about breaking a pure we Hewis hat like a bad Frenchman. Do you no. see what happens uh, when Chris <laughs> takes over the intro to this section? He's suddenly gone into a French accent and he's talking about Huey's storyline for the episode. Like, do you, do you see the irony, Chris? There was another storyline of the show that you could at least have chosen. Okay. Oh, no. The Scottish boy on Huey. Look at him go. Oh, See, every time I go Scottish, I end up inadvertently going French. But anyway, I'm going to... St- enough silliness. Um, in all actual fact, I really just want to talk about the breaking of poor Huey's heart. Mm-hmm. Like, we'll talk about the road trip and things and the actual other things that happen around the road trip. But it was so interesting to see that theme of love and relationships and couples kind of being teased with what we talked about, like the, the deeps kind of pick of marriage. But the the growth that we see of Starlight, Annie's, and Huey's relationship outside of what's happening Mm -hmm. in the story. So, like, you see this mending of what what we assumed was this mending of this kind of broken, or or not broken, uh, I was going to say shattered, but it's not, just kind of bent uh, of relationship, which we thought was gone beyond repair. Broken beyond repair, yeah. To be honest, that heart sounds like it really can't function anymore. (laughs) If it's broken, shattered, bent, and Uh uh, just not working anymore. (laughs) No, so this, I just thought it was interesting, because we, my assumption was that they were veering off from the comics, that this was a doomed relationship from the start, which is, like, as this uh, series continued, um... They, they, they were just going to pull them further and further and further apart. Mm-hmm. And you got some sense of that throughout the last few episodes that like Annie was starting to feel dejected, particularly by Huey's kind of lying. And then in, was it the last episode? As Huey kind of straight out lies to her about what was going on. I know. So I believe it was the second episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, he straight out lies to her on the phone. She can tell that to get to where. Huey professes his love to her in episode three yeah. to then her nearly having to kill him and them surviving. Mm-hmm. I just, my assumption was it was going to be like, that was it. Like that was the end. 
And then as this episode continues, we see why they were drawn to each other. We see that kind of, again, that mending as it continues, culminating in the uh, I'll turn off the lights because I still want to see you, but only slightly dimmer um, mm. scene, which was really nice. But be, not even that. It was just the actual section before where we see them talk about their broken lives yeah. as a contest beside uh, uh, the vending machine. And I was like, oh, this is great. We, we see the scene as they kind of are in the car and mm-hmm. they're talking and they're smiling and they're singing. And I'm like, this is great. Like, this is what drives them forward. This new relationship, this reinvigoration mm-hmm. to ending up in front of the subway where she, she just ends it. And I, I, we completely understand why that constant fear she talks about, yeah. like the loaded gun that, all the aspects of that they play, they played with my heart in this because it, it is that you want them you want Huey to have love you want Annie to have like to to be together they they deserve each other no so I just I I thought this was really interesting mm-hmm. like they, they basically built everything back up and you expected by the end of this episode things were the new status quo being set was. They're back together. And then they just dash it. And I was just like, that's ballsy. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I think, um, like, I was surprised that they kind of reconnected, actually, in the car. But it's perfect environment for that to happen. And I kind of really liked it. Certainly given even just the meeting up so soon after she had, okay, she had definitely been forced. But, you know, the eyes were glowing and she was in kind of starlight mode. Uh, with, uh, you know, where she's acting on Homelander's instruction to mm-hmm. kill Huey. Because he was ultimately saved by, um, Billy Butcher, not, not by Starlight. And, and in the end, um, I, I was surprised that they came together so quickly. And then this road trip igniting everything. But I thought it was really, really good. And in the end, I actually thought that, um, her kind of dropping everything and effectively calling it off. I just thought it was really, really good and absolutely made sense given what had happened to her in in the elevator with Homelander. Well, it yeah. was effectively her one last fling. And yeah. um, she yeah. is committing herself to Vought and being in the Seven and she doesn't want to be in that position where she has to lie or come across as being suspicious to Homelander ever again mm. because she knows what's going to happen and yeah, um, so I, I i really liked how how this this worked out and i mean it was it was really sad you know huey was so happy with annie being kind of back with him and you know they have their 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 tender moments together whether it's at the vending machine in in the room at the motel and it was really really good so i suspect we will be probably hearing a lot of your only human again uh, in episode uh, five from maybe. Huey. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, there were, there were some lovely moments between the two of them early on as well. I love that, that meeting they have in the park where uh, where Huey finishes his conversation. He's about to run off to join this trip down to with MM down to North Carolina. Um, but he stops and realizes that, that Annie's not leaving the park. And he kind of says to her, you know, 
are you just going to hang around here for a while? And then she breaks down in front of him and tells him what happened with Homelander or tells him about everything that's going on, the pressure that she's been, she's been under. And it, it does feel really for the first time because there's a lot of kind of hero worship in between in between Huey and Starlight in the first season as to why they should be together. You know, there's a little bit of, of that kind of excitement of being with Starlight, but this time you really see a relationship there. You see that there is a connection between the two of them as well. So I really like that scene. And then by the end of the episode for it all to be kind of pulled away is, is a bit sad, but hey, I watched uh, I watched Fitzsimmons on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. for seven years, every single season being pulled apart for the whole season. So it's kind of a TV trope that the two characters you expect to be together will absolutely not be allowed to be together by the circumstances of the sci-fi show you're watching. <laughs> so I'm used to it, but they'll probably be together by the end of the season or maybe into season three, and that's been confirmed. <laughs> yeah, it, it will all depend on where we kind of get to by the end of the season. Um, but uh, well done pulling in AOS. Like, as every time, always, man. Every time. Like, every time you can get it in there. Um, no, absolutely. jokes aside, uh, it would be interesting to see what the, how this affects... Huey going forward mm-hmm. um, because if anything I wonder will this turn him slowly into Butcher where Butcher's was targeting zero in on Homelander because of the perceived d- the destruction that Homelander brought on his love life mm-hmm. um, taking away Becca um, so it would be interesting to see if Huey now puts a target on Homelander for the perceived you're taking away Annie. Maybe. It'd be, it, yeah. it could be interesting to see that. I think he hates but, Homelander enough at the moment for uh, for sure. all the other reasons as well. Uh, lots of sex, lots of relationships, lots of other heartbreak going on in the episode. John, you want to take us on to another little bit of the boys' heartbreak for the episode? Yes, another shattered, broken heart. Uh, this time, Frenchie and the female. Um, I, I, I just really like this interspersed throughout the episode, you know, from the frustration where Frenchie is on an absolute drinking and drugs binge, um, certainly after uh, what happened with the the events in, in the previous episode, you've got him really trying to connect with Kamiko. Mm-hmm. This frustration, um, and to be honest, that's where I really think and why I really think he's drinking and, and taking the drugs. You get him attempting to kiss her, you know, if if words aren't going to work, then just go in with the old uh, kisseruni. Oh, and and you know, unfortunately, th- this Frenchie got rejected by Kamiko, who mm-hmm. really I love that scene where she is under the table. She's in absolutely intent on the TV with Stormfront again up, uh, capitalizing as I said in the synopsis on um, her victory over the the super terrorist and he comes in he's been drinking he's he's had the drugs and goes in for the kiss and proper grip of the neck and he he knows when um she uh, has rejected him and of course with that frustration with that rejection frenchie ultimately heads back to sheree which we see for the first time since season one, although I think we saw her in the background, she, the first speaking role. A, a little look at her last week, but here, you know, a proper, um, a proper little uh, reconnection between Frenchie and the former yeah. flame uh, of his Cherie. 
It seems um, to confirm they have this kind of open relationship yeah, thing anyway. This is kind of like, definitely. it's not the love of his life, but it's someone that he'll go to friends with benefits. As, as I, they, exactly. Exactly. Um, you know, it, I like, I love that Sherry points out to Frenchie, you know, it doesn't matter really that female is nonverbal. She'd be able to tell you if she consented to you kissing her, right? Who did you think would make, would be, would feel good in this situation? She's lost her brother and you kiss her to make her feel better. Is that really a thing that was for her feeling better, you know? Um, the whole scene with Frenchie made me wonder, had we seen him taking drugs before? And I, I couldn't think of, of any moment in the first season where we actually saw him taking drugs or was even intimated that he was getting high on his own supply, really. You know, we, we know that he is involved in a lot of, of sales of arms and that kind of stuff. We know the group that he's working with are selling drugs as well. So he definitely has access to it. But um, this episode definitely seemed to be, as you say, John, seemed to be him using drugs to kind of cope with everything that's been going on uh, in the last episode, uh, everything that happened in the last episode. Yeah. And I, I think the great thing about the Cherie thing is that, you know, it's ultimately, you know, what's drawn out of that is Frenchie wants to help, but he's just going about it the wrong way. Uh, and ultimately, the great thing about it is that he goes about it the right way, right at the end, because you know he's looking out for his, the his friend, the person he has really strong feelings for, loves uh, in Kamiko, where he stops her from confronting Stormfront. Then at the rally, mm-hmm. you know, at, at the eleventh hour, pulls her back and says, "This is not a fight you're going to win." Yeah, um, and he yeah. looks like he's gotten cleaned up. It looks like Sh- Sharia's managed to you know give him a little prune, get him in the shower get new clothes on. Um, and so I, I just like this. I like this movement of um, the relationship between Frenchie and the female uh, throughout this this episode, really. Uh, one where Frenchie is frustrated, leading to rejection, effectively going about things really badly with Kamiko, who's just lost her brother, uh, Kenji, uh, and ultimately ends up looking out for her uh, at the uh, Stormfront rally. Uh, so I, I, it was good to kind of get a bit more of a meatier uh, thing for Frenchie, I think, yeah. in, in this episode. Definitely. So there you are. Yeah, no, I'm right with you. It, it, it shows his growth by the end. Uh, like, any, any of our listeners know, like, I hate tropes and I like growth. Um, and that's in all things in life. <laughs> Um, but this does show that he, he, yeah, he's knocked back by this inability to, to have communication, discussion, a connection with her. But towards the end, he, he's understanding that he can make a slight difference with her. Yeah. Um, interestingly enough, we do get a quick answer to a small point about, uh, Stormfront, uh, in this scene. Um, we were kind of wondering her power set, how she flew, was it through the electricity? So we see that she does hover and then starts using her electricity. And I was like, oh, I was wrong. Mm-hmm. I was about to say, I was about to correct myself. Then we do see she cuts off the electricity and then flies. And then flies. Yes. Right. So we can see that they are two different power sets. So uh, still one for me. <laughs> yeah. yeah, she's, I mean... She's definitely, yeah, seems pretty well um, souped up for sure. Yeah. Um, I think the other thing as well with the Frenchie thing is we were talking about it on the podcast about, well, is, is it just a 
a friendship kind of love mm-hmm. and affection for Kamiko, or is it guys more? Wonder whether it was brother and sister kind of relationship. Yeah. But um, it, you know, yeah. it kind of gotten lost a bit, and I think this nicely puts a bit more um, of a, a concrete feel around yeah. uh, these two characters in terms of their own relationship together. At least Frenchies, definitely. Certainly yeah. Frenchies, yeah. 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 But the female is in Avenger mode at the moment. Absolutely, she's absolutely focused on uh, Stormfront. After she broke the neck of her brother. Absolutely. I really couldn't think of a worse time for Frenchie to make his move. If he's been waiting for the entirety of the first season to make his move, this this couldn't have been done at a worse time, really. Uh, but again, as I say, the boys are all going down. All the relationships are going down the bad path uh, in this episode. Um, my, my protagonist moment is the same. It's also another one of the boys going down the wrong path. Um, this is really the capper on the entirety of the first season and a half really um billy butcher finally finds becca uh knows where she is now finally tries to rekindle the relationship with her and unfortunately because billy butcher's an a-hole as we all know he may be the fun the most fun character in the show to watch he may give you all the great curses but he's still an a-hole and you see it here and uh becca's not willing to go back to him because of it he gets all the tips from Mallory, as you mentioned in the synopsis, John. He gets all the details of where she is, and Mallory is trying to make up to Billy Butcher um, in some way for all the things she was involved in over the time that she was uh, trying to protect the world from the soup. She's trying to help Billy out, and, and even though he didn't bring back the soup that he was supposed to bring back to get the information she gives him, the uh, information to find his wife, uh, she, he gets there, they rekindle their relationship, they also finally have sex with each other after all these years for Billy waiting to meet her. It's, I guess at this stage it's probably 10 years, 9, 10 years, something like that. The kid looks about maybe 8 or 9, maybe. Yeah, I think. I think it's around that. So it's been a long time Billy has been on this vengeance streak trying to kill Homelander for what he did to his wife, trying to kill all soups in the world for what they'd done and how horrific people they are. And What's put in front of him is Becca says, effectively, I'll go with you as long as my son can come too. It is her son. She's been living with him for the entire time. He's an innocent child who's brought into this world and been used as a weapon, effectively, to try and keep Homelander in check, sort of, or maybe give something to keep her alive with. Um, But Billy's not willing to take him because he's a soup, just like his father. So... Uh, this effectively puts end puts an end to the relationship between Butcher and Becca. She's she's done now. She's out. So, will we see the turn by the end of the season where Butcher realizes he's wrong and absolutely should take in her and this innocent child, or will Ryan die by the end of the season and Billy try to go back to to Becca and see will she come with him now? Is that the kind of resolution that we want for our main character on the show? I don't know. What what do you guys think of this situation between Becca and Butcher here? For me, it they're very much kind of they're giving you, as you said, the resolution for season one. The driving force is he now knows where she is. He found her. He got to see her again. They, as you said, got to rekindle and kind of reconnect. And it's that stubbornness that is driving him. That 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 resolution that all soups are a holes. That is driving him is now showing, to a degree, will show him by the end of this season, hopefully, or at least by this, that that resolution, that being so resolute in that opinion, is going to cause him to lose the one thing he just got back. Mm -hmm. So I can see them kind of doing it a number of ways. Like you said, the death of Ryan, the 
Ryan turning evil and joining Homelander by the end of the season. Mm-hmm. That does that is also possible. I hope they don't go down this route, but there is obviously the potential for them to, and I don't think they will. They've never given me like one of those more well-known tropes where they they'll kill off Becca. Like they'll kill her off because her storyline is done, and then that puts, and maybe the the Ryan does it or something, and then that swings Butcher back to the vengeance. That's what's gonna drive our main character mm-hmm. vengeance for his lost love. Yeah, because we've already seen it. So I don't, I don't, I don't think Kripke and the will the rest will do that. Well, that was the as you say that was the entire premise of the first season until we find out that Beck is alive. Yeah. So that was what we all thought was the trope that they were using in season one. So I, you're right. I doubt they're going to do that same trope again to push us into season three. Now he's on on yeah. the warpath. Uh, I did love Becca's response to Billy saying when he's saying we'll just leave him behind um he's he's a multi-million pound weapon effectively they'll take care of him um and she kind of says but that's what happened to Homelander he was left behind yep. he was left on his own with these scientists taking care of him and look what happened to him we will just be creating another Homelander if we yeah. leave Ryan here you know um really liked that element of the of the argument between them yeah definitely I and actually you got a sense from Becca speaking with Butcher that part of the reason why she took the deal with Vought to be in this compound after Homelander had raped her. You know, A, she's caring for the kids, the innocent party, and it's her son. Mm -hmm. Uh, But secondly as well, because of how she thought Billy would react to the news. She knows his temperament, and, and she can see, and it's probably why she poses that question, Ryan is coming with us to to test him, and he fails the test here with his with his outright stubbornness, yeah. Um, yeah. because he seems to think that all soups um, are the same as Homelander, even though Kamiko's in the boys, mm. even though he knows about Starlight, and um, that you know he he will use them absolutely. Yeah. But um, so I he doesn't I, I like he doesn't like either Kamika or Starlight being involved in his group at all. He feels like the purity of it being a group that isn't involved in Compound V is what is driving him along. Other people have brought them into the group, exactly, and he's very unhappy with them. But it's almost yeah. a suggestion that even Billy Butcher, um, not even a suggestion. It, it shows that Billy Butcher has lost his perspective and his focus in the same way that Homelander has and mm. um, yeah. completely because he is just wrapping them all up in a bow um as one yeah. and that's where Becca is totally against it so it, it was really nice this I I don't suspect that they will end I think Butcher potentially has a redemptive arc here and mm-hmm. um, I think it's well, not that difficult either. Is it either? All no. he has to say is, of course, I'll accept your son and we'll take him in. It's effectively the idea of going out with a woman who has a child already and you take them on as your stepson. It's not that difficult, really. Yeah. Especially knowing how much he loves Becca and knowing how great she will have brought up the child. It's going to be a good one for their relationship. It'll be fine. Like, it, but, it, but he just can't see past the fact. That this and it's going to be something really influential. Um, yeah. And it's either because it's a big moment or it's going to be... Because someone like Mallory, who he doesn't, you know, she cuts through his BS yeah. and 
if she lays it on the line, the, the, the truth of the matter, that actually really it seems like their investigation initially within the CIA was all about Vought mishandling and uh, abusing what they had there with yeah. the soups. Um, and you, you see it with Edgar talking about, well, you know, within the cone of silence, we are happy to take, what, 30%, 35% uh, casualties. Mm-hmm. And that seems to me that that the issue is they've got the weapons. And so they're also being treated like weapons, but not necessarily all soups are like that. And of course, we don't necessarily see that quite in the same way. So uh, within this show, um, but Starlight, except for Starlight, you know, she has that, uh, you know, she's part of Vought, but she doesn't want to kill. I mean, she yeah. says that to Homelander. So uh, in the lift. So uh, yeah, be interesting to see how this develops because as well for me, um the black noir thing was really strange because i was expecting him to pop up at the compound so all all those scenes under the the bridge and the love scene between becca and and billy i was expecting black noir to show up and like a huge sword fight oh that's right because we saw him doing the uh, doing the thing in in vault head office where he was checking to see if there's any trying to get the face recognition he could track billy butcher across the country yeah i know that moment when you're kind of like they're having some soft tender moments in the back of the car they're kind of having quiet moments and you see them sharing a cigarette and you're kind of going someone's going to get their head lopped off with a sword here. So one of the two of them is gone at the end of this episode. Yeah. It was kind of flashback to, to episode one of this season thinking, is Becca suddenly going to get a katana through the back? Uh-huh. And this is good. Yeah. This is going to set well, Billy yeah. Butcher off even more. Uh, now I'm not entirely sure what's happening there with Black Noir. And I'm just wondering whether uh, it may be related to his... Um, corridor moment where he's sobbing after learning the news about compound v and whether he is in some ways trying to connect with billy butcher um around information intelligence or or whatever um i'm just not sure now because I, i i thought that was whatever it was it was an interesting setup for Black Noir yeah. uh, in this episode. Yeah, interesting one. It'd be interesting if, uh, if Black Noir turned in that way. Um, I think he seems to be the one that we don't know them don't know that much about either. So it'll be interesting to see if that's the way. But uh, but for me, this moment between Butcher and Becca just felt like the biggest moment that we've seen for Butcher, really, because it does, as I say, cap his story right there. He has to go back and kind of repeat this story again. Yeah. He has to go back to Becca again and kind of ask for forgiveness in the future to continue that story. But really right here, it feels like that's the end of it. That's kind of enough of the sad, sad stories of the relationships of our boys. <laughs> yeah. Let's get on to our seven, our antagonist moments for the episodes. Chris, you're going to take one of the big ones for the episode, one of the big reveals about the episode. We got the reveal of the racism of uh, Stormfront last episode, but there's a, another bigger reveal maybe this episode. Yeah. Um, so very briefly, we talked about the, the the question that Mallory had kind of put to Butcher about have you heard about this Liberty character? And we were like, well, it's Budweiser ad, blah blah blah. And I was trying to rack my brains of oh, who could it be? What? Well, well, like maybe it's kind of similar to Lamplighter. Maybe we were thinking maybe Homelander's mother. Maybe it's a, some form of that. Uh, we do. They didn't wait long. Mm-hmm. So Mallory does kind of 
while talking to Butcher, go through that the, the, the Liberty's name was all over Rainer's server, that she was talking to this, and there was an address and a person uh, basically on the end of this address that should be able to provide some info on Liberty, and they were it was their job to go figure out why, what was going on. So we do get this interesting tidbit that, uh, like, I'm just kind of, you've listened to our show to this point, you've already watched the episodes. So, yeah, Liberty is Stormfront. Mm. Um, so what we see, or what we're perceiving to be, uh, was basically Stormfront was in the early 40s, uh, was the the super heroine known as uh, Liberty, um, and that she uh, basically had killed um, a, this lady's brother because they were suspected that the the, the involved in a crime, and full on goes crazy, goes full racist, and this girl sees it, and then you're expecting it's like, oh well, no, I was. Then expecting, oh, well, look, they'll say, like, she's still alive and points to someone in the crowd with Stormfront or on the vault. It's like, nope, it's Stormfront. Yeah. That's that yeah. lady. So it's cool to see that they're going to go that this aging V is helping with the aging process that you kind of go lo- slower. We see in Stormfront's conversation with Homelander and actually in previous conversations she also kind of drops tidbits that can be portrayed or assumed that there's a double entendre that she is older than she looks. Yeah, it's weird, isn't it? Because she called him Grandpa last episode, but I think that's just yeah. a just a joke. So she called she called Homelander Grandpa as if he's massively older than her, but uh, but clearly not. Um, yeah, I think it was actually yeah. the seventies uh, when that accident or that incident happened with Valerie's brother. Um, cause she's only herself is only in her forties and it was when she was a kid. So, um, so I think that's the, when, when Valerie's brother was killed by Liberty was in the seventies. I don't know whether it gives any detail as to whether, how long she's been around before that. Um, so I think we were talking about it last week as her maybe being part of the, the World War II effort when the soups were around back then, but there's nothing in here, but we know that she's definitely been around since the seventies and she's now Stormfront now. So, just to make sure we're kind of clear on, on the timeline. Yeah. But but we'll, we'll definitely know more after this episode. Now that that reveals there, we're definitely going to learn more about Liberty in future. Yeah, yeah. yeah absolutely. What a, what a fascinating reveal. So effectively, she pulled herself out of the limelight and came back in for this, for, to join the Seven now, effectively back in episode one. So I'm trying to get it in my head as well. Ashley said that she wasn't involved in Stormfront being added to the Seven. Whose choice was it that she went in there? Who made the call to bring her in? Homelander wasn't involved in it either. Um, it feels like it would be Edgar um, in that moment, mm-hmm. I, but we, I think. But we don't know. Like, Is it just that she effectively put herself on social media, walked in and went, I'm in here right now, and they couldn't refuse it because the world knew that she just joined the Seven because she announced it herself? It, it could be. Like, I, I mean, know, and but... certainly that could have been persuasive, but we have that moment where Homelander goes up to the the floor uh, that Edgar is on to say, I have final say say on who joins uh, the seven after he's just dispatched blind Mm spots by destroying his eardrums. So yeah, yeah, it's, I I suspect it's Edgar, but it could be the, the power of her social media presence and that persuasion. And that's why Edgar 
went with her or something. Or as you say, maybe she did kind of insert herself into the seven here because... Do you know what I mean? It feels like Edgar's maybe thinking, well, Homelander must have done it because he told me he's going to be the one involved. And Ashley's going, well, I didn't do it. And Homelander's going, I didn't do it. And they're all kind of round in a circle maybe who did who is the one that actually well, brought her in but it could be Edgar it could be but it, it's interesting you say that she inserted herself because you know there was her reaction to um you know we see her in front of baying crowds here you know at the start she's she's telling the crowd to be your own hero um and I, I thought I was just she was continuing to hog the limelight um after the death of Kenji, after that, and and kind of you know being PR'd to death by Vort, mm, but no. then she's really kind of going anti Vort, and you know they're not doing anything in the tower to stop these super terrorists, uh, super villains. They're selling you these these plastic dolls, throw them in the bin, and I kind of I think it was only until. Um, the moment between Homelander and Stormfront where she she talks about uh, you have fans, I have soldiers. Um, you don't need everyone to love you. You just need five guys on a laptop and uh, people to follow you, five million people to follow you, mm-hmm. you know, that are passionate, emotive, because emotion connects and anger sells. Um, you've got to change with the times, you know, with a, a sly nod and that, you know, nice little reference to the liberty element mm-hmm. and, and rebrand. Uh, I can help you with all of that. Yeah, so, yeah. like, this is almost like um, a cuckoo in the nest, I feel, a bit, um, or a, a fox in the hen coop, whatever mm-hmm. it may be. She is um, this uh, being a little parasitic here because... All this attention is for her own agenda, yeah. which is to spread divisiveness uh, because, and anger yeah. because that's all you need. And so like yeah. her backstory is going to be fascinating. And as well, with all the similar kind of antics going on from people that should know better in power, then you know it, it's fairly timely as well Absolutely. with all of this. But I, I, I thought that thing of Stormfront to Homelander I just thought it was really, really good and a great way of describing it from the writers of this episode. Yeah. That kind of process. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, they, there was, this is 100% a call out. That conversation was 100% a call out to current political status around the world um, in terms of the, and the, the use of the internet. Uh, weaponizing it. Well, yeah. Um, but but weaponizing certain people as well. It's not just, yeah. yeah it's the, you can weaponize people to go and buy the new iPhone, or you can weaponize people to go and uh, join your cause to uh, to take down people of color that don't agree with your opinion, uh, which is exactly what yeah. she's doing here. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, before we move on, uh, and I'm going to move it on to John next, I want to make call what my potential theory, Chris's crazy corner of theories. Mm-hmm. Um, so we, we got the background of Vought. Uh, and who Mr. Vaught was. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to call it that Liberty Stormfront was one of the, was the, one of the first soups yeah. uh, in Germany was created by Vaught, mm-hmm. was brought with Vaught to America. She aged up, became Liberty, um, as a, uh, and so her, her aging process slowed. So then, yeah, by the time she was, 
it, by the time it was the 70s, she was a full-blown superhero. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, she is a Nazi. We'll find out she's full in white supremacist, is a Nazi. Uh, Vod is no longer in charge, but she is still quite interconnected into Vod Industries. Mm-hmm. Um, so she got herself pretty much with, through Edgar, onto the Seven. Uh, and it is essentially that she is going to promote and become that crazy right wing um kind of not anti vod she's just everyone that is not white soup you bow you must bow before us yeah, yeah. and uh, that's where they'll go it's, but it's an interesting dynamic isn't it because you saying that chris it's kind of like me thinking now okay yeah maybe she has sort of deep ties back to you know the vort family or something like that and yet What's her? I would look. I you know. I can't wait to see her relationship with Edgar uh, as well. Mm-hmm. And and the fact then that Edgar has got the you know the the picture hanging in his office of uh, Vort, where we got the the backstory. Um, it seems like he would have been appointed to to that position. I'm like, as I say, the backstory of Stormfront mm-hmm. and her connections, relationships. Um, uh, as to how she came back into uh, Vault Industries and into the Seven, it, it will be fascinating. Yeah, absolutely. Or else she's the one in control of the whole lot. She's the one that Edgar does report to, uh, which is the other yeah. the other possible outcome for me. Yeah, really good, yeah. really good theories, guys. Really good theories. John, do you want to give us your antagonist moment for the episode? Yeah, mine is Homelander again. It's oh, the well. lion and its prey. Yeah, like this also has yeah. some shocking moments this, in the episode. Yeah, this was great. I. Uh, you know, Homelander effectively is stalking the Seven uh, as it's currently formulated just to root out those weak individuals. So, you know, he goes after A-Train because he, he knows about the heart condition with the dishonest um, where he confronts Starlight in the lift uh, and effectively is going to kill her in yep. the lift. Yep. Um, other than, you know, she has a great call where she hides her feeling and and talks about hating Huey because he broke her heart, almost destroyed everything. Um, You know, it was really good. And she goes, am I lying now? Of course, because she says it with such sincerity because, (laughs) you know, I think part of her is kind of slightly crushed by that. So, you know, there's enough truth there to show to, to Homelander. Almost, I suppose, taking a bit of a leaf out of at least what Stormfront had done in in episode two in standing up saying, you know, I believe in the rule of law. I believe in that process. I want to take him to the police, not just murder him. Yeah. Just because I do that doesn't mean I, I'm going against you. You know, so she does a great way to hide it and ultimately survive uh, death at the hands of Homelander. Absolutely. Um, and and speaking in terms of dishonesty, then with Queen Maeve, were because he's had that uh, sense from the phone call that Queen Maeve had had with Elena um, in the last episode, he effectively outs her on TV um, uh, that she's a lesbian with a girlfriend, uh, effectively so that... Um, all her personal business is on show and he um, can bring her back 
in you know he, he he the dishonesty fit from queen Maeve is a personal one because certainly in season one you know you see that they're very close and yeah queen Maeve is is technically she's complicit in a lot of what homelander has done really badly like the airplane being sort of blown out of the sky with all the passengers absolutely and as we saw you know that whole conversation between herself and elena where she's saying you know the things that i've i've been made watch him do and the things that He's made me be complicit in. Like yeah. She's certainly questioning herself. But this is yeah, a brutal moment where he outs her on, on television. Yeah. You know, this, this it's idea. really not when he, good. When he goes through them all, you know, he's just so matter of fact about it. And it's almost like, where did he lose his PR training almost? Because he's there on TV kind of going, well, you know, we have loads of races in there. We've got Adrian. He's a black guy. And um, we've got. Uh, Black Noir, he doesn't really identify with any race. We've got all those covered too. It's like this really, it's like Homelander has started to lose it. Yes. You know, even yeah. even on television, he's not able to he kind of is keep himself in control, you know. And that's like, you want a gay one? We've got a gay one. She She's gay. It's like, she's a lesbian. She's got a partner. It's like, oh, just stop, Homelander. You Definitely. Know? Like, he, he is just, um, you know, with, with Queen Wave, it is about being sick of the lies that per well, on a personal level yeah. because she's afraid that he will go and kill Elena. So yeah. What did you think about that moment with Maeve? She says to uh, Homelander, what have you done with Elena? Where have you taken her? And he says, she's safe. She's fine. I was trying to work out. Does that mean he has or has not taken Elena? It sounded almost like he was saying, I, I know about it and your worst fears are coming true here. I've taken her. I just felt that he was saying to her that he hadn't done anything. I, right. I I took it at face value a bit here because I felt, you know, in terms of the the treatment of Queen Maeve, treatment of Starlight are both horrific mm-hmm. and, you know, attempted murder or threatening murder and outing someone. But what I mean is, is that I think with Homelander, he, he says something, I'm just sick of the lies. I think with her, it's the personal side of things. Um he doesn't have that deeper personal connection with Starlight in the same way as Queen Maeve, I'm guessing. Right. Um, and yeah. I think her dishonesty is more traitorous. This one is maybe just doesn't push it into that bracket. So I didn't really kind of get the sense that um, he had taken her and killed her, but you never know. No, I don't think he's killed her. I don't think he's killed her. I think it was just a question from her is where have you taken her almost? The conversation felt as if Mae was going, you've outed me on TV. That's really bad. You know all about my relationship. What have you done with her? Yeah. As in, not only have you outed me on TV, but you're now also going to try and keep me in control by, yeah. by kidnapping her and, or something. And Queen Maeve so. continues to try and hide it, doesn't, doesn't she? And that's why he says... I'm just sick of all the lies. Yeah, I, I think ultimately for his, his his way of tackling Queen Maeve is, I now know that's threat enough. Exactly. And if I want to, I can go and find Elena at a drop of a hat. Exactly. Yeah. So, so it, there's I, no there's no worry even if he hasn't kidnapped Elena, yeah. he can still go and do something today. Exactly. Kind of thing. Yes. And I think then the final one is just the threat. The threat that is presented by Stormfront after um, last episode, mm-hmm. you know, you you see Homelander absolutely agitated by Stormfront in terms of oh, what completely. she's done. That that kill, that glory from that kill was mine, not yours. And even when he goes to confront Stormfront 
in in Vault Tower. She works her way out of it, and you see he's uneasy in her presence. And given her powers of flight, electricity, you know, she's very, very well tooled um, and would be um, a match for Homelander, I'm reckoning. So I I really like that, um, you know, I like the eyes, the threat of the eyes go and then recede. Uh, And she... She does understand the seriousness of where he's coming Absolutely. from, but she's able to to work her way out of it. But in a way where she hasn't changed who she is, you know, in, in a sense, I felt. It's almost like she's saying, but why are you hung up like this? You know, and into that speech, she goes, mm. all you need is five million you know, loyal followers or soldiers and you don't need everyone to love you yeah you know but homelander is a total narcissist so um he's a total egomaniac Mm -hmm. he's a preener learn even later yeah exactly so um i i love this uh through the the episode as well a bit like with the french one you know it's a through line coming from um an event that i'll mention in my outstanding moments Mm -hmm. um but really nicely done by yeah. Anthony Starr again. Yeah. Every scene, I or I feel he's going to kill someone. He, yeah, it does. Even smiling, there's a menace there, which is I don't know how he's able to convey um, this imminent threat all of the time. But if he was in a horror movie, I would probably have a shattered heart by the end of that horror movie because i'd be constantly hiding behind the cushion wondering what's he gonna do next yeah absolutely like he's excellent i think he is phenomenal uh in this part as homelander yeah i'm circling back to that couch scene with Maeve and homelander and i just want to give a massive hat tip to the writer's the writer's room or whether it was specifically Michael who actually wrote this scene but the f- pure fact which kind of just pulling out the I can't we're not racist I have a black friend yeah. kind of thing like it's literally it was that level and it was that on the nose and calling out how stupid that sounds yes exactly um it was yeah. just uh, but not not in a uh, not in a I don't know. I was going to say not in a comical way. It was comical, but not in a a overtly kind of stupid way. It was still a good, good, good scene presented by great actors. It was just shining the light on such a stupid comedy. Yeah, it's it's exactly the kind of stupid thing someone would say who is racist <laughs> and who doesn't exactly. think about anybody else around them at all. This is the moment when Homelander is going. Well, I don't understand why anybody t- t- tells us that we're racist. Look at everything that everybody else has done. Not like he's actually done anything within his powers at yeah. all to change the situation at all. So, uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, for me, I'm just going to quickly talk about uh, the Deeps moment in this episode because, as we mentioned uh, earlier on, and, and just after we said the synopsis, really went through the synopsis, um, I loved the li- lineup of everything that's going on. I loved these... Uh, non-love stories really from from the ladies who are being presented <laughs> to him as uh as potential mates we have uh the lady who's going 
literally just as she gets to her wedding, um, her her future husband tells her that it doesn't really matter how much they spend on the wedding because they're not having kids anyway, and that's it. She cancels the wedding, gets rid of everything because she wanted kids with this guy, and that was you know final minute decision. That's it. She's out seems a little bit extreme yes. or seems like one of those things yeah. you may know before uh, you get to the, your wedding day. Um, then we have uh, the one I feel most sorry for, I'll be completely honest, uh, the lady who had the uh, the boyfriend with the Ed Sheeran obsession, uh, who made the two of them get Ed Sheeran tattoos on their arms and then broke up with her two weeks later. <laughs> so she's now stuck with an Ed Sheeran tattoo that she absolutely hates. <laughs> I really like, like, I feel so sorry for, you know, anybody who gets a face tattooed in their arm is always someone I feel kind of sorry for. That It's one of those things that will never age well as tattoo, you know, symbols and words and uh, and languages on your on your tattoos absolutely they they generally age quite well but a face uh, on your arm uh, never going to go down down too well uh, so i do feel sorry for her but uh, i guess she's not going to be stuck in a relationship with the deep um being peored to death uh, no. by by uh, false industries so that's that's not too bad we also get the reveal of the one that deep would have wanted uh, i suppose who's basically willing to do anything sexually that he would be interested in <laughs> and of course deep's like yeah okay yeah that, that's my wife um but the one he does end up with is uh, the the lady who reveals that her perfect dream uh, is an image that she's seen of two skeletons in a in a coffin who've died and are uh, hugging each other for all eternity, and that's her perfect dream kind of relationship. And that's the woman that Vaughn are going to set <laughs> the deep up with for the future, because it has to be someone as wholesome as that who believes in being together forever and ever and ever. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know whether it's intended, but in my head, I was kind of going. How did those two skeletons die? Were, <laughs> did oh, one kill was, the other? Is uh, not the, the <laughs> are these not the skeletons that are kind of um, fossilized from the volcano? I'm pretty sure that's the Pompeii ones, right? I, I'm not. I'm not entirely sure. I'm just. I just felt from the conversations that each of the uh, ladies were providing, uh, particularly this one, seemed a little bit more intense, and it felt like you know we're going to die in each other's arms even if I have to take you that way myself and <laughs> kind of almost, almost, but, uh, but that, 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 that may be just me reading into it, <laughs> but I just like the idea. And as I say, I love the framing device they had throughout the episode. So it uh, really reminded me of when Harry met Sally. So uh, there you go. Yeah. I, I absolutely love this. I get very massive vibes that this is what they're trying to do a riff on, uh, Tom Cruise and his, uh, previous wife, Katie Holmes. Mm. Um, that like they were comp- always apparently they were chosen for each yep. other by Scientology. That's this is very much. If you did not have uh, a kind of any, if you had any illusions that this was not riffing on Scientology, mm-hmm. well, they I are. should have confirmed it there for you. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Let's get on to our outstanding moments, guys. Chris, what's your outstanding moment? A moment that we haven't talked about from the episode. Very much a quick one or two quick ones, which is uh, Mother's Milk and his OCD. Yes. And uh, his backstory. First on to the OCD. Um, this is fantastic because I went back. They've been doing this since season oh, one. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Like, they've been playing this so well. Even the first scene where you see him, where he's adjusting the pens mm-hmm. at his desk when Butcher's in yeah. there with him. Like, they were playing it off and... I always took it from that they were just going that he's meticulous and that was kind of thing. But being able to 
string it out to this point where they're like, no, no, he is full on OCD mm-hmm. and you see him tap and stir and it all just clicks. Um, it was masterstroke in writing character development. <laughs> like, just mwah. see, I, I, I think I'd seen it so much, especially when you saw things like, you know, him asking for a particular type of hand sanitizer, you know, that kind of stuff. We knew he was really clean again, as you say, right back from episode one, him adjusting the pens. It was always something that was there in the character. I just think this whole storyline is, hey, guy friend. <laughs> um, <laughs> like Huey's been hanging around with him for, what, six months now? And seen him every yeah. single day. Um, all it takes is like one car trip at Starlight. She goes, uh, do we need to talk about MM's OCD? And he's like, what OCD? What are you talking about? I haven't noticed that at all. It, that just feels like guy friends. Um, yeah. It feels like that, that kind of thing where all your mates could spend their entire lives with you and not notice that you have a pretty serious condition really <laughs> when it comes down to it for mm uh you know like she describes it as have you not noticed that before he turns into a new lane he has to tap the steering wheel three times and then put on his indicator before he drinks a cup of coffee he has to tap the cup three times like he does multiple uh ocd things before he does anything in huey's never noticed any of them the wipes even the aloe vera yep. because he's got to s- sanitize his hands like we we met Kind of caught out in one of the episodes. Mm-hmm. I think it was episode one of this season. Yeah, I really liked uh, this call out actually of the OCD yeah. of mother's milk for sure. Yeah, no. Uh, as someone who has small amounts of this, um, I, I I just loved it. I thought it was fantastic. A great portrayal of how they do it, not making it to be a complete cr- psycho crazy, exactly. um, as they do in some ch- more tropey TV shows. Uh, moving on to his backstory, uh, this was a great way to kind of give him a bit more depth without kind of throwing it in your face and um, by giving him that uh the 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 uh, the ability to tell parts of his story um of why he's why he's against fault um while staying true to what was going on and think versus a kind of a Basil exposition scene where it's like he sits down with Huey and tells the story of why he hates Vaught and what, like, what, etc. Um, we didn't get that. We got it as it was a natural progression of we him and Starlight talking about his dad yeah. uh, or their fathers, and it was a nice, touching moment. We know he's dead. And then they're getting the scene where they're, they're about to discuss and trying to show why they're against and the downtrodden and we do get this story that um for reasons his father was suing Vought mm-hmm. um Vought basically attacked him with an army of lawyers his father never gave up basically his father had OCD we see that he was constantly at the typewriter he was there constantly fighting this battle for all the years until one day they just didn't hear the typewriter mm-hmm. go anymore Yes, there's another another magic trick from Voss. They made his father disappear, it seems. Yeah. 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 So this was great. We get the background. We're gonna probably find out more. Um and yeah, I'm happy to it. And Chris's corner later, I'll quickly discuss some of the top points about his comic backstory. Um and it's quite similar. Mm-hmm. Like it, it it's really, really good. And we did discuss it back in season one when we were discussing season one, but I'll just kind of rehash for anyone who's just joined us for season yeah, two. Yeah, absolutely. I, I must um, say yeah, I love the I love connection it. between uh between MM and Starlight as well. I felt that there was a real moment where you go, Well actually you can see why these two would get along. You know, they're connecting their they're connecting their uh past with each other you know it's a really good conversation it's really well really yeah. well written between the two of them 
It, it, it felt true. Exactly. Uh, like, it didn't feel forced. It didn't feel like, a, oh, we need to quickly get backstory. Here you go. Yeah. Like, it was just a, a, a very fluid conversation. Yeah. And also feels if we are eventually ever going to get Starlight as a true member of the boys in the future, you can now see there's a way in here. She's she's yeah. had a relationship with Huey. If that ever happens again, that's fine. But she really, he really trusts her anyway. MM looks like he would really trust Starlight now after having this conversation and connecting properly with her. So all she needs to do is convince uh, Frenchie, uh, the female, and uh, Butcher to, to try and let her <laughs> in. Absolutely. The group. Butcher? Uh, maybe not Butcher. Maybe Butcher might have to leave the group before she joins. Um, that, yes. Is that it on, uh, on MM and Mother's Belt? That's really it. It was a, it was a quick outstanding moment for me. Excellent. Uh, John, I think you're taking um, the creepiest moment from the episode as your outstanding moment. Yeah, yeah. a bit of Homelander on Homelander action. Um, he is yeah. so into himself that... Um, he only needs himself. Uh, that includes his doppelganger, who is back uh, this season, yeah. to recreate Homelander in his own perfect image and to pleasure him how he sees fit. Um, yes, this was um, never going to end well for doppelganger. And I, I love how doppelganger, you know, not only does he look like the the person who's trying to portray but speaks with such authority in their tongue in the sense yeah. that i could imagine homelander speaking like that you you knew it wasn't going to end uh up well here um and yeah he is the neck Ev- there's a lot of neck squeezing twisting just general garrotting going mm. on uh here it's a weak point uh, of the human body yeah and uh it, it was just interesting because this this safe space that um, Homelander had created uh, seems out in the the woods, log cabin, uh, far away from everywhere. I presume Doppelganger is kind of that's his retirement plan that he was going to just be there, be mm. kind of in quotes <laughs> looked after, or he's being held hostage. I think might be um, hostage, yeah. Uh, and, and we see right at the start Homelander with uh, Madeline Stillwell yeah. here. I actually thought it was a dream yeah. sequence. I thought, and then I the pressure could have been getting to him. I thought yeah. that was the way they were going to play it in this episode, that Homelander has been under so exactly. much stress and strain that he's suddenly seeing Madeline Stillwell in the room. The reveal that it was Doppelganger was so good. It we, was so good. Am I right in saying that we only saw him in one episode last season when Madeline Stillwell used him to uh, to bribe a senator or something like that. She had uh, had him be a really attractive woman, take him up to the room, translate translate back into Doppelganger and have the photographs to bribe this guy. I think that was the only time we saw him, maybe one more time. But uh, but I like bringing back <laughs> a, a, the minor character who only appeared twice in the first season for this uh, massive moment in here, this massive reveal that, uh, that, um, of Madeline Stilwell and why she could possibly be back. You know, it was really cool. Yeah, I mean, it seems like this house is almost like Homelander's um, retreat, library of the mind, because oh, okay. fortress of solitude. Oh, fortress of solitude. Okay, exactly. <laughs> oh wow, I didn't get that Superman reference. One. It yeah. is, but it's a creepy fortress of solitude where um, people like Madeline Stillwell suddenly uh, turn into an overweight doppelganger. Mm-hmm. Uh, I love that. We <laughs> just gets up and says change the f back um and uh but you know this is where he's he he's 
talking it out with himself uh with, or with madeline but but with himself as well um and i i thought this was really good um to be honest and as i say i thought it was a, a dream sequence to begin with and then i was thinking it had gone on for so long or like you say stress induced yeah. almost hallucinatory and then i actually thought is still well alive um <laughs> because it had gone on for so long and then what I was not expecting was Doppelganger mm-hmm. to pop out yeah. um, from Stillwell uh, and uh, just that image of Homelander reclined uh, on his sexy thighs uh, with those, uh, you know, orbs sort of resting down close to his face, which... You know, he enjoyed from Stillwell. Um, mm-hmm. And then... May not be enjoying as much from Doppelganger. Not anymore. Well, he's lost that ability now, unless there's a few other Doppelganger superheroes around that he can exploit. But again, um, you know, over the course of this episode, the Homelander, where he turns into himself, it is that moment of realisation. You know, he's gone through the Seven to try and yeah. get rid of them. And... and he faces himself and realizes it is only him that he needs. He feels confident, strong enough to be that it's just him. Um, and to the point where he doesn't even need himself or, you know, through his doppelganger, his, yeah. his kind of the image of him. And, and maybe yeah. Stormfront has you know, kind of brought that in as well. You know, it's this God complex reasserting itself. Yeah. And, and this is almost that final stage where I'm God. I don't need anyone else. I don't need the seven. If if they all go or if they're all killed or if I all kill them, fine. Yeah. The seven is yeah. me. Um, you know, so th- th- this was really great and it was just a great moment with the doppelganger absolutely i just love that line from doppelganger when he effectively knows he's pleading for his life and he kind of goes you know you can sleep with yourself and it's not even gay you know <laughs> he's trying, yeah. trying to give him every option here to uh to save himself you know i can translate transfer into anybody at all that you could possibly want i know you maybe yourself maybe maybe you want that you know um it, it wasn't gonna go very well for, for doppelganger no. from that point definitely um that's kind of it from the homelander side right john yeah yeah that's uh, like there's a lot going on in this episode but you've you've i think gone through most of his storyline i'm just gonna, gonna take a quick one my outstanding moment from the episode you kind of mentioned it earlier on but just the singing in the car um on the way down on this road trip with mm i just think it's one of the funniest scenes that we've seen uh in the episode yeah. uh where huey and, and starlight connect over both knowing the words to i think it starts in the third verse of uh of we didn't start the fire when the two of them start singing every word back and forth to each other you know what most people get the first three or four lines of that song before they start uh start kind of miming along with what they yeah, think it man, could be yeah, man, <laughs> exactly do they kind of something something fire yeah uh somewhere somewhere like that so uh so if you find another human being on the planet that can sing along to every word of that kind of song with you you know you found the right person uh but i, th- I just thought it was great i love the reaction from mm in the front of the car kind of going this is not a road trip we are on a mission here <laughs> we're not we're not here to just see your little date together you know shuts off the radio and that's that's kind of the end of the conversation but uh but i really i really liked it i thought there was a really nice connection between them uh just to mention because for some reason we didn't mention it uh back in episode one we have had a new billy joel song every episode 
I, we did mention this is in reference to uh, to Huey's uh, assertion that he doesn't really like any challenging music. He just kind of likes, you know, the, your standard <laughs> James Taylor and Billy Joel kind of songs. This is what he's into. And it's the type of music and the only type of music he's into. Nothing wrong with either of those two people as artists, but broaden your range a little bit, Huey. <laughs> yeah. So you kind of get the feeling that part of the reason why he's listening to um, You're Only Human on the on on his phone every day is because there's so much French rap going on in the, in the hideout that they're in, which really wouldn't be something that Huey would be into. But uh, but back in episode one, we saw we heard Pressure uh, by Bailey Joel. Uh, in episode two, we heard, as I said, uh, Only Human. Uh, in episode two and three, uh, it was played both times. And there was a little touch of Piano Man as well, uh, one of Billy Joel's most famous songs uh, at, at the start of episode three as well. So uh, so in episode four, it's We Didn't Start the Fire. So uh, we will apparently hear more uh, throughout the rest of the season. So what are you expecting for episode five then? See, I'm wondering now, maybe with Huey's broken heart, maybe he'll turn to somebody else. So that might have been the last uh, Billy Joel song we'll hear. But we may hear more for the rest of the season, some other, uh, some other big tunes. And as I said, I'm, I was half expecting when I heard Billy Joel music was going to be involved that we would have a moment where... Uh, where Huey looks at Starlight and Uptown Girls playing, and I hope they don't do that because that's my least favorite of the hundreds and hundreds of Billy Joel songs out there. So, and it's the most overplayed. So, hopefully, we don't get Uptown Girl. Anything else? I'm happy. No, that's going to happen. I'm happy with with that. There's he even has a Vietnam song if they want to go back and do some replays of Liberty in the War. You know, we we could use so many songs. So, uh, I think the rights were sold to Westlife after their awful version of that song uh, years ago. So, hopefully, we won't we won't hear any any other versions of Uptown Girl. <laughs> anyway, quick call out just on that uh, as we hadn't called it out before. Um, any notes for the episode before we get on to Chris's corner? Very quick one. Um, we um, wrongly assumed that um, in episode two, when we heard about Kimiko's um, village being destroyed when her brother tells the story, that it was Homelander uh, who did it. But uh, according to uh, Mon Cherie, uh in this episode, it was Lamplighter. Right. Yeah. She said lamplighter uh, burning down the village. Um, so, again, another name check for lamplighter who we know is coming in in uh, season three, uh, played by Sean Austin. Um, so it'll be interesting to see now how much, how deeper they go in this. Um, that's like kind of why is that? Is that why lamplighter is no longer there? Uh, maybe Homelander killed lamplighter. Uh, because Lamplighter tried to save them. There's, we're learning more and more about this village being destroyed. Right. I had not heard that casting at all. I had not heard we're going to get uh, Lamplighter at all. That's mad. Um, I, all I knew was that, that he was gone at the start of the first season. That was it. He was the person that had been removed from the seven, uh, that Starlight took his place effectively. That was, that was it. I didn't yeah. know we were going to be getting, uh, him coming back. That's really interesting. Excellent. I'm pretty sure I heard that, but I could be hundred. No, nope, excellent. Thanks, Chris. That's, yeah, that's, uh, good that's stuff. interesting one. Um, John, anything? Yeah, just two notes for me. Um, I did kind of forget to mention Shockwave is seen entering the vault building um, to uh, replace A-Train. Yes. And uh, the great little moment with A-Train and uh, Ashi where she's like, oh, nothing to worry about. And then Homelander just says, he's replacing you. He's he's basically coming in to kind of sign the contract. Mm -hmm. Um, So we see Shockwave, that was his... He trains kind of nemesis in season one because yeah. uh, why he kept taking a lot of the compound V to make sure he was kept beating um, Shockwave. Yeah, because he had the embarrassing title of second fastest man in the world. Yes. <laughs> Shockwave. So, um, yeah, now he's the fastest man in the world because... Uh... Obviously, Adrian has the heart problems. So, yeah. yeah. Uh, and my only other note is on our long drive down south 
to rally in North Carolina. We do see Homelander、uh, mural on the side of a a barn where his cape is the Confederate flag and、oh, not、yes. the stars and stripes. I did notice that. Yeah,、yes. that, was, that was quite an interesting touch, wasn't it? It was fairly interesting. It would be remiss of me after living in Carolina for two years and my family all still live in Carolina not to correct you and tell you it's Raleigh, John. Uh, not like the bicycle、uh, that we have over here. Okay, not rally. rally. Yeah, so, <laughs> spelt yeah. the same, but yeah, exactly, different pronunciation. But、yeah. uh, but that's really interesting that they do that. That they'd have a, a moment with the Confederate flag because it feels like you know maybe that's、uh, something the Stormfront would be absolutely approve of <laughs> if that was、uh, if that was what the choice for her、uh, her cape would be, I suppose.、Um, Just quickly, I absolutely should have called out that line with、uh, with Homelander firing a train because I love it ends with "We'll still be friends, I'll like you forever, etc." <laughs> <laughs> exactly, great Homelander moment when he's just going etc. Whatever, none of this means anything. You're out. <laughs> That's it. Great moment.、Um, finally, for me, just、uh, the episode title、uh, "Nothing Like It in the World" is a song by Mr. Big and Ish. Is a hairband from the eighties that Mr. Big. I think you probably remember one <laughs> song of theirs. It's awful, awful. Once again, exactly the type of music that would fit within Huey's collection. <laughs> I'm really glad I can't remember that tune yeah,、uh, for、terrible. sure.、Uh, but Chris, your corner awaits, sir. It is, boys and girls, gather round and welcome to the comic book corner, or also affectionately known as Chris's corner, where we deep dive into some of the more the background, the history of the comic books, and how it relates to this. I want to jump into Mother's Milk just based on the absolute kind of drop of knowledge that we learn about、uh, Mother's Milk in this. Back in episode three of season one, we did a quick Chris's corner on this, so I'm gonna gonna just in case you don't remember. I'm just gonna kind of rehash some of that, but essentially, backstory: it, Mother's Milk is MM is very similar、uh, in this show as he is in the comic books. He first appears in、uh, issue two of that.、Um, while they don't directly call out the OCD in the comic books, he's kind of always described as this patient, methodical man, and that came from his father,、uh, who basically kind of drilled into him to check every possible angle、uh, and every means of attack.、Um, and they make kind of light of. His this kind of methodical nature, because he always gets annoyed when people don't use drink coasters、mm-hmm. under their glasses,、mm-hmm. and it kind of becomes this big thing. I recognise that trait. Oh yeah, no, never seen that one before. <laughs> Apparently, his moniker of Mother's Milk comes from him being the purest, the most good-hearted member of the、mm-hmm. team. Um, and like basically, he did work with Mallory and the boys back in the day on this.、Uh, we do get his backstory and his, the history of Mother's Milk in issue thirty-five,、right. and it does bring up his、uh, father's backstory about how his father worked to sue、uh, Vought over、mm-hmm. this,、uh, and it does give a reason. I don't know if I want to go into the exact reason right、yeah. now. It is really, really good.、Okay. Um, And it will be interested to see how they bring this in.、Yeah. Um, if you have read volume one or t- and volume two of the compendiums of that, it's like issue seventeen. Some of the stuff they hinted in issue seventeen comes out in issue thirty-five.、Uh, but it is really nice to see how they are staying true to the comics、mm-hmm. um, with this because it is something that ties deep to what his character is. 
Um, uh, so hopefully, fingers crossed, they they stay quite close. Excellent. Yeah, it sounds like if we if we had the reveal in this episode that he's uh, so connected to his father, we'll probably hear a bit further on that story uh, in a future episode. Excellent. Anything else in Chris's corner, Chris? No. But again, calling it out. If anyone has any questions, uh, let us know. Oh, sorry, I should have said his real name in the comic books is Marvin Milk. Very good. I think we saw that at the start of the season uh, on screen, didn't we? We saw mm-hmm. Marvin Milk uh, being wanted. So um, uh, the, the name, the only person that wasn't named was Frenchie. Uh, it was the only yes, unknown person. Unknown. You're right. Yeah, yeah. So, so it is the same as the comic. Excellent. Excellent. Yes. Good stuff. I think overall we seem to have enjoyed the episode. John, do you have a rating for this episode? I do. Um, again, another episode I really, really enjoyed. Um, I'm going to give it five doppelly doppelgangers out of five um i liked all the through lines on this from the the love gained and loved lost um with huey and with uh with starlight frenchy and uh the female although he does kind of he claws back their their friendship anyway mm. uh, after the mistime kiss at least uh, keeps her alive, yeah. And keeps her alive as well to fight another day. Mm-hmm. And of course, with with Billy Butcher and Becca as well, Homelander and all his team, there's a lot of love lost uh, gone on there. And I like how he goes round all of them. And yes, the little mystery around Stormfront, um, I think it's going to be epic, her backstory. Yeah. Um, I really hope I'm not building it up in my mind, but it just sounds fascinating how she got where she is, uh, and I can't wait to then see her ripped down by the female, hopefully. Uh, but I think there may be a few other people that want to join in on that fight, at mm-hmm. least Homelander at the moment. But Definitely. who knows? Maybe he's taking a chapter out of her book. So I really, really enjoyed this episode. thought it was properly top-notch. Um, and so, yeah, five doppelly doppelgangers out of five. Excellent. Yeah, halfway through the season, uh, excellent episode overall. Chris, anything else to add? Not really. Like, yeah, uh, as you said, halfway through the season, this has just gone strength to strength to strength. I'm just dying to get into episode five to really see how they, they're going to pull this all together excellent just one week to wait for that one uh, next episode out next week john it's time to go to the pub and give us your boys pub quiz question for the week yeah welcome back to the pub quiz fellow boys and girls and fellow pub quizzes this is episode four and this is question four what are the three worst candy bars in the history of candy According to Huey. Mm. Yes. Um, send in your answers to feedback at tvpodcastindustries.com. Uh, you can send them in one at a time. Just make sure in the subject line that you indicate what question uh, the answer is for. So please keep on sending those in uh, so that uh, the winner, the one with the largest number of points, uh, will be the crowned the winner and if we have a tie off then of course it will be names in a hat uh, each question is one point unless stated otherwise and um, so yes please uh, keep on bringing in those answers to the pub quiz questions fellow boys and girls 
And we did promise, and I'm going to have to apologize once again to our wonderful boys and girls, we did promise that we would have an idea of what the goodies would be for our boys season two uh, pub quiz competition. We do not have the have them yet. That is purely because we completely overloaded ourselves with podcasts over the last week and oh, didn't yes. get a chance to look, look them up. We will have them for episode five going into the other half of the season. We will have yeah. our goodies available for the boys pub quiz. Thanks so yeah. much. For everybody that's entering entered the pub quiz, it's really good fun to have uh, to see your answers so far. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, thanks for entering. And I can assure you it will not be the three worst candy balls ever that are <laughs> in uh, the prize. Excellent. Yeah, don't, don't do that. Nobody likes uh, selling terrible candy bars to them. <laughs> yeah. We have got some feedback in for episode three that we haven't discussed as of yet. Thanks so much for everybody who's been sending in their feedback to us. Email us to feedback at tvpodcastindustries.com with any thoughts you have on the series as a whole or any episodes that you've watched uh, or the podcast itself. Uh, We'd love to hear from you if you have any thoughts about the podcast. First up, we got an email in from Jimmy Uren who says, I am so excited to have this show back with a fun season opener. I just can't believe it has been a year since the last series. And given how much has changed since it is almost comforting to be back with the boys again. That said, I have to say that the way this show makes you laugh out loud while watching decapitations, exploding heads or voluntarily severed limbs does make me worry that lockdown might have done something more to me. <laughs> the first podcast was excellent, and I especially liked Derek's catch with the Lebowski reference. And I'm impressed you managed to find a soundbite to open with without having to censor the language. That's becoming an eternal struggle, Jimmy. Thanks so much. Jimmy <laughs> uh, says, just a few other thoughts that you might not have had time to include. The translucent funeral was a great opener, and I agree on the awful brilliance of the song. Thought we hardly knew you. It seems we can't see through you. <laughs> as, a, as a quote from the lines there. Uh, I also noticed in the live broadcast that the new subtitles updated just before Starlight spoke, presumably deliberate to show how scripted their grief was and a very nice touch for the episode. Very good. Jessica Hatch, who plays Carol was also Susan and Friends, married to a character named Carol, as well as in Breaking Bad with the ever-amazing Giancarlo Esposito, who has ha- has that fantastic, confident menace that should make him a perfect foil for Homelander this season. Well, that's really interesting. Also, what is the Fresca drink is about? Is, about? is it some kind of, kind of drug, or is it just product placement? It makes me think of Slurm from Futurama. <laughs> nice catch. <laughs> yeah, lots of Fresca over and over again in the, in the deep place. Jimmy continues, not quite enough of Butcher to make it a perfect season opener for me, but he did get to have a great intro and I guess was held back for a reason. So we should get plenty of opportunity for the rest of the season as well to find out what it went on after the last finale. Anyway, enough for now. On to the next episode. Go on, Jimbo. You might as well fill up on the, on the boys as we have them. Thanks so much for your feedback. Yes, thank you so much, Jimbo. Appreciate it as always. Over on Facebook, Angie Aris had this to say wickedly good fun in that first episode i finally watched it last night the bit where homelander drinks some of madeline's breast milk out of the freezer was super creepy i like seeing more of giancarlo esposito and miss edgar he's such an ominous mm-hmm. presence look like they might have expanded the role for this season yep uh giancarlo esposito just uh, i i i'm not a uh breaking bad guy mm-hmm. Um, I know he was huge in that. I know him for a few other roles. Um, but every time he's a scene eater, like he, and not in a bad way. He's just this fantastic presence that putting him in a room, uh, you know, it's going to be, or even him in the role is just, you know, it's going to be a fantastic take and an ominous presence, as you said. 
Absolutely, yeah. Mm-hmm. Great, to see, great to see him. He is that that villainous presence in a lot of shows at the moment as well. Yeah, no, thanks so much, Angie, uh, for the feedback. And, of course, as well to Jimbo. Uh, Salim Akizla says, Well, they said they were raising the bar this year, and they weren't lying. Homelander is a despicable POS, but that man can deliver a rousing speech. <laughs> Seeing Chris's prediction of Homelander's son manifesting his powers didn't take long, nor did Stormfront showing her evil, hateful side. One thing I don't quite get is the rest of the team going along with Billy, handing the female's brother over to the feds, or the brother helping save Huey from Homelander. Did they have a last-minute plan to somehow get Becca and Mother's Milk's family without actually handing him over? Yes, obviously I am officially off of Team Stormfront, though I do find her and the dynamic she brings to the show very interesting. During the virtual panel a couple of months ago, Aya Cash said she was worse than Homelander, so I'm really interested in where they go with her. Maybe she will go full-on Nazi. She doesn't seem to mind working for Edgar, but she could just be going along to get along. Mm. I do thought that was uh, Cherie in episode 201 uh imdb confirms this i wonder where they'll go with her i always felt bad for her in season one she blew up her apartment for frenchy only to be seemingly cast aside at the drop of a hat yeah yet yeah, thanks salim uh for that uh yeah i think uh stormfront uh has certainly gotten a lot worse um mm-hmm. she's certainly not putting on the old flag at the moment but uh yeah She's not putting the armband on her on her arm, the the, the Nazi uh, armband right. just yet, but certainly uh, I could see her going there. Yeah, and um, pretty likely, yeah. Right. Yeah, uh, I'm officially off uh, Team Stormfront as well. I Definitely. think, um, to be honest, uh, I think, uh, yeah. She's not a nice lady. Mm-hmm. And yeah, she probably is worse than Homelander. We've kind of had a, had a quick chat about that last episode, didn't we? Um, wondering whether she's worse because of her uh, particular proclivity for the people that she murders um, being definitely worse than Homelander's. Um, and the question from Slim as well, um, there is that moment when Billy is calling Mallory to tell her that he has the assassin or the terrorist on board the ship and Frenchie overhears it. Um I think it sounds like or it seems like uh, Billy's told the rest of them that he's just going to get protective custody in there for uh, for her brother. She doesn't it doesn't seem like there's anything bad's going to happen to her, but Billy then kind of turns and says if the female Kamiko steps in the way, he'll take her out and then Frenchie has an issue with what's going on. But it seems like everybody's gone along with it because Billy has arranged for something okay to happen to uh to commit to to kenji um but it turns out that that's not what actually was going to happen i think it's it's something like that so uh so i think that's how he's convinced them all to to be on his side and and allow allow for uh, kenji to be turned over yeah essentially he he's lying to the team that and that was the problem that we saw in uh, season one he keeps them to the he keeps the deals he makes with mallory with rainer with everyone to be fit his own benefit while telling them something. Exactly, else. exactly. Finally, Jamie Alexander says, Welp, Stormfront's evil. Huey sure does spend a lot of time covered in blood and goo. Poor Huey. That's like a yes. that's like a beautiful haiku, really, about poor Huey's experience. <laughs> yeah, it really is. Yeah. It is poor Huey. Yeah. 
I highly recommend going over to Jack Quaid's uh, uh, Twitter mm-hmm. profile and following him there. Uh, he has some amazing photos of the makeup he had to go through for playing Wee Huey, uh, especially when he was covered in blood. We also got some amazing scenes where um, behind the scenes photos of where they were inside poor Beth. Absolutely, yeah. That's some uh, some awful experiences, I'm sure, for all the actors on this show. Uh, as we said, he was very happy that everybody else was getting covered. Well, in blood he did, like he didn't was. he? Yeah, that was that was pretty good because yeah. he was the main blood splattered victim in in the last season throughout season one. Yeah. Absolutely excellent. Thanks so much to everybody for your feedback. Please keep sending it in to feedback at tvpodcastindustries.com. We'll be back next week with our chat about the boys, season two, episode five. We gotta go now. That's the name of the episode, but we also got to go now. Thanks so much for joining us. Bye. Yes, thank you so much. We got to go now. He's telling us we got to go. Yeah, fellow boys and girls, we got to go. But remember, keep watching, keep listening. And of course, after this episode, keep on loving. And we'll be back next week. Bye. Bye. Bye.